Hi, this is Josie Posey. And this is Sylvia Bellavin. And you're You're listening listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and I am thrilled to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It is Sunday, July 10th. A man named Charlie Moore moved into a new community with his family. He wanted to make friends, so he joined the local softball league. In the opening game, Charlie took his family to the park, and he went to join his team. Charlie got up to bat, set his feet, squared his shoulders as the ball came across the plate. He swung, and he missed by a mile. The crowd groaned, but one voice could be heard over the crowd. You can do it, Mr. Moore. The second pitch came, and again he swung wildly and missed. And again the voice could be heard. You can do it, Mr. Moore. The third pitch, he swung again, and the voice cried, That's okay, Mr. Moore. When the game was over, the family got into the car, and as they made their way down the road, the dad turned to his son and said, Was that you that yelled out, You can do it, Mr. Moore? The son admitted it was him. Then the dad said he appreciated the encouragement, but he asked his son, Why did you call me Mr. Moore? Well, the boy said, I didn't want anyone to know I was related to you. (laughs) All right, welcome everyone to our new six-week sermon series titled Not a Fan. This series is based on the one-of-a-kind book and movie by Pastor Kyle Eidelman titled Not a Fan. In this series, Pastor Eidelman points out that in any church, there are people who are followers of Christ and others who are simply fans. So let me ask, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? We'll find out more in a few moments, but before we do, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for the privilege we have to start this new sermon series. Thank you for the resource from the book and movie called Not a Fan by Pastor Eidelman. Lord, we pray we hear your voice through all of this that the points that will be made each and every week will be not just applicable to our lives, that we'll actually take them to heart and do them. And help us to decide today if we're not sure if we're a fan or a follower of you. In your holy name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Our primary scripture reference today is found in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 28 to 69. That's a really large chunk of scripture. We're not going to read it all at one time. But you might want to turn right now in your Bible or Bible app to John 6, starting with verse 28, and you can follow along as we begin. First, let's talk about fans of Jesus. Who are they? Fans are the folks who only go to church. They really don't do much for Jesus because they have other priorities. These people are happy to show up at church and shout out encouragement, but they really don't act like they're related to Christ. They're willing to shout out, you can do it, Jesus, but that's about it. A fan just shows up. They'll stay as long as it benefits them, but they often get easily offended when they can't get their own way, and so they don't stay around. The late popular British preacher W.E. Sangster told of a lady he knew about. It seems that the church choir was scheduled to sing in a town hall, but the platform was not large enough for the whole choir. So a few choir members had to stand at a slightly lower level, and apparently this woman had been one of those who was forced to stand on the lower level. Sangster said she, and I quote, was so offended that she quit the choir and left the church. Perhaps she did not know him who was oppressed and he who was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. A direct quote from Isaiah 53, 7. This woman was a fan, 
not a follower. Fans are those who walk away. You'll see them at ball games. Their team gets so far behind that they'll never catch up. It's 10 minutes before the end of the game or in the last quarter of the game. And what do a lot of these people do? They leave, don't they? They want to get to their cars before everybody else does and head home. They're not going to be there to continue to encourage their team because the team is losing and can no longer meet their expectations for that particular game. So they leave. That's what happened in John 6, 66. Look with me at verse 66. It says, at this point, many of his disciples, meaning Jesus, turned away and deserted him. So why did these people stop following Jesus? Because he offended them. He said something they didn't like. They were pushed beyond their comfort zone, so they left and they didn't come back. You see, the crowd wasn't there to follow Jesus. In fact, they weren't really there for him at all. They were there because they expected Jesus to be there for them. Just a day or so before this incident, Jesus had been teaching a huge crowd. The text tells us that 5,000 men had gathered along with women and children to hear Christ preach to them. But as the day progressed, Jesus knew the people were getting hungry, so he performed a miracle. Jesus took five small loaves of bread and two small fish from a little boy's lunch. He blessed them, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to hand out to the crowd to feed them, and everybody was fed. Then Jesus sent the disciples amongst the people to collect all the leftovers from this miraculous meal, and there were twelve baskets full of food left over. The crowd was impressed. Some began to talk of Jesus being taken by force and made to be their king, but knowing that, Jesus slipped away from the crowds, and later that night he walks on the water and joins his disciples in their boat as they cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 24 of the text. It says, So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. So they went searching for Jesus. Why? Because he fed them. He'd given them a free lunch. You offer me a free lunch, I'll be there every time. So these people came back for more food. But Jesus didn't come to earth to deliver a lunch buffet. He had no intention of feeding them this time. And they're not happy about that. They wanted him to do another miracle, but he's not going to do it. And why isn't Jesus going to do another miracle for them? Here it is, folks. Because Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. So if that's what a fan looks like, what does a follower look like? The difference comes down to motivation and priorities. A follower is the type that means it when they sing that old gospel song, Where He Leads Me. Sing it with me. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. Where will you go? Where he leads me. How far will you go? All the way. Now, fans don't actually sing it like that. They change the chorus so it sounds like this. I'll go with you to the summer and the baseball games and my vacations and the campouts that get in the way. I'll go with you till the winter and I have to spend my three months in Florida or Texas or wherever I really don't want to get involved in serving him. I'll go with you till life's a bummer. And I don't feel like getting out of bed or people have mistreated me or I don't feel God has answered my prayers the way that I want. If not, I'll say so long, so long, all the way. Fans give up and they walk away. Or worse, they'll stay and damage the church. More about that later. 
So what about the followers? Followers follow Jesus no matter where he leads them. You can see the difference between fans and followers and how they worship. Fans go to church to experience the rituals. The rituals make them feel religious, and those rituals don't make any difference in how they live. Followers go to church to experience Jesus, and that experience of encountering him during worship changes them. That experience shapes them and molds them into a different kind of person. And they worship with the full expectation that that experience will change them. For fans, the spiritual connotations of worship are hard to grasp. Look at verse 51 of the text. There Jesus told the fan-filled crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then in the next verse, 52, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, and they said, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then in verses 53 to 57, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Doesn't that all sound a little bizarre to you? I mean, it sure does to me. I mean, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what's up with that? And if you take Jesus' words literally, you'd be right. But Jesus isn't talking about this literally. He's speaking spiritual words filled with spiritual truths. Jesus taught this way many times in his ministry. Do you remember Matthew 5, 29, when he said what we should do when our eye causes you to lust? It says, gouge it out and throw it away. And in the very next verse, verse 30, what are we supposed to do if our hand causes us to sin? It says we're to cut it off. Now, if Jesus was speaking literally, you and I would be in a world of hurt. But everybody knows Jesus wasn't talking about literally plucking out your eyes or cutting off your hands. In the same way here in this passage, Jesus isn't talking here about literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's referring to the fact that he's soon going to die on the cross. And when that happens, his flesh will be torn and his blood will be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And this isn't about taking communion. It's about us having life because Jesus did what he did. And we find our nourishment as Christians because we feed on his sacrifice. We're not here to go through a ritualistic ceremony. We're not here to fulfill our quota of religious activities. We're not here to punch our time clock. We are here to feed on Jesus. A Jesus who died, was buried, and rose from the grave for us. That's why communion is such a high point in our worship service at Word of Hope. That's why we take the Lord's Supper each Sunday. It's not some ritualistic requirement. We take the Lord's Supper each Sunday because we need to remember why we're here. Everything we do here at Word of Hope should be centered on that institution. Our songs should remind us of Christ's sacrifice. Our prayers should be based on Christ's sacrifice. The sermon should find its power in Christ's sacrifice. Without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, nothing else we do here has any worth. The bread and the cup they're only reminders of that truth. Unless we feed on the sacrifice of Christ in our daily lives, our faith is little more than a ritual. 
and this tendency towards ritualism can hit any one of us. I once talked to a couple of preachers about how they did things in their church, and one of the men mentioned that their congregation had two contemporary worship teams. One worship team would lead singing on one Sunday and the other on another Sunday. And in the weeks before they led worship, they'd spend time practicing the songs. But their practice experiences were different from each other. The first team would work on precision and perfection. They wanted to make sure they got every chord, word, and beat perfect. And when they got up in front to lead the singing on Sunday, their songs were technically correct, but they were not very inspiring. But when the second team led singing, it felt like they were worshiping as they led, and the preacher said it seemed like the audience responded better to them. Why did the second team do differently? They didn't just practice throughout the week. They worshiped as they practiced. They sang the songs not so much out of precision as out of love for what the words said. One more thing. When Jesus didn't do what the crowd wanted him to do, the fans got offended, and then they insulted him in front of everybody else. In verse 42, we're told that the Jews began to grumble about him, and they said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? The crowd was upset with Jesus. They began to grumble about him. And then they said some nasty things around them to everybody. Do you know what they were saying? They were saying that Jesus was a liar. They were saying that he couldn't possibly have come down from heaven because they knew who his folks were. These guys are fans. They were not committed to Jesus. So they didn't care if they insulted him or not. They didn't care that they spread discontent amongst those who might follow him. All they cared about was justifying themselves. They were willing to damage Jesus so they could look good in their own eyes. And fans do that in church. They'll say nasty things about the preacher and leaders and ministry teams who make decisions they're unhappy with. They'll spread rumors and discontent so they can justify their actions. But followers wouldn't think of hurting Jesus. Jesus is who they are there for. In verse 67, after the crowds leave Jesus, after they all walk away and never return, it says, Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Peter's answer here is really interesting. Take a look at verses 68 and 69. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Did you catch what Peter's saying there? We don't want to leave you. Where else would we go? We have what we need in our lives, and we believe in you and know who you are. We don't want anybody else. In other words, we will follow you wherever you lead us. Sing that gospel song chorus with me again. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Amen to that. Let me bring this sermon to a close. A Chicago youth minister planned a spring break mission trip for his youth group. He was afraid they might become distracted by Florida's balmy beaches, so he fashioned a cross from two pieces of lumber, and just before they climbed on the bus, he showed it to the group. He said to them, I want all of you to remember the whole purpose of our going is to glorify the name of Christ, to lift up the cross, 
the message of the cross, the emphasis of the cross, the Christ of the cross. So we're going to take this cross wherever we go. The teenagers looked uneasily at one another, but they liked and respected this man, so they agreed to do it and promptly dragged the cross on the bus. It banged back and forth in the aisle all the way from Chicago to Florida. It went with them into restaurants. It stayed overnight where they stayed overnight. It stood in the sand while they ministered on the beach. At first, lugging the cross around embarrassed the kids, but later it became a point of identification. That cross was a constant, silent reminder of who they were and why they had come. They eventually regarded carrying it as an honor and a privilege. The night before they went home, the youth leader handed out two nails to each of the kids. He told them that if they wanted to commit themselves to what the cross stood for, they could hammer one nail into it and keep the other with them. One by one, the teens drove their nails into the cross. About 15 years later, one of the youth that had gone on that trip, now a stockbroker, called that youth leader. He told him that he still kept the nail in his desk drawer. He said that whenever he lost his sense of focus, he looked at the nail and remembered the cross on that beach in Florida. It reminded him of what was at the core of his life, that he'd been called to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that's the question for you today. Are you a fan or a follower of Christ? If you're a follower of Christ, God bless you. Continue to strengthen your walk by being in the word, by learning more, continuing to pray and serve the Lord. But if you've been a fan, or maybe you wouldn't even call yourself a fan, maybe you've been curious about who Jesus is, but maybe like those kids, you're ready to make a decision. Then open your heart today. Confess Jesus as Lord. Repent of your sins. Be baptized under the water into Christ and rise up in newness of life and live for him. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.